One of my favorite times in my Genesis class at Bible school is when we talk about marriage. And uh, the students, I think, too, like to talk about marriage. Maybe some of them attending Bible school with their radar up, wondering, is God going to provide a mate at the Association of Free Lutheran Bridal School or Bible School? (laughs) And when we study Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 to 25, just to illustrate what marriage is about, we have a little wedding during our class time. I think Corey Berge might have been the preacher in his day. Uh, Luke Westlake, I think, was the groom and um, actually married his cousin, Nikki. She was a little concerned about that. She said, our kids are going to have 11 toes. So remember that day. Uh, Caitlin Goodham, I was the father and I would walk the bride down and and she, as we were walking down, she said, I am not going to let you be in my wedding, she said. <laughs> well, we look at that text today from Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, where we see God's blueprint for marriage. Genesis 2, beginning at verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason... A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful today for the gift that you have provided to us in marriage. Lord, we know that marriage was your plan, it was your idea, and we need to stand today upon the truth of your word as to what a marriage is all about. A man and a woman committed to one another for life. And so teach us, we pray. Guide us, Lord, into your truth. Your word is everlasting truth. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you read the creation account, you will notice that God says six times in Genesis chapter 1 that it was good. And then he ends the chapter in verse 31 by saying that it was very good. And so when we come to our text today, it might be a little bit startling, I suppose, to notice this phrase that something was not good. Verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And so God did something to make it good as he established marriage. 
And there are three very clear lessons we see in this text this morning. First of all, notice that God declared the need for marriage. God declared the need for marriage. It is clear in our text that marriage was God's idea. God didn't ask Adam if he would like to have a wife. God knew that Adam needed a wife in spite of all the good things that God had made. In verses 19 and 20, we have the list of them. Uh, The Lord had made the the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky, and he, He brought all of them to Adam and He named them. And then we find this phrase at the end of verse 20, but in spite of all that God had given to Adam, all these animals to care for, but for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. Our Kent Hughes puts it this way, the observation and declaration of Adam's need is all of God. God did not consult Adam. Indeed, Adam may not even have known that he was alone. Remember, he was in Eden with every bountiful provision his heart could desire, including a whole zoo of pets that adored him as their ruler. God was not responding to a complaint by Adam. Not good was God's sovereign, unilateral assessment. Marriage is God's idea. It is not man's idea. And therefore, we cannot regulate marriage in accordance with our desires. We must go back to the Word of God. What does God say? Marriage was His idea. When God said it was not good, we certainly wouldn't understand this to mean that it was evil or wrong, as if God created something that was was wrong. Not good is to be understood as unfinished or incomplete. God was not done yet with his creative work. There was something missing. Adam was alone, and he needed a helper suitable for him. Very interesting word, the word suitable. One author says the function of the helper would be complementary to the man's. A helper fit for him, literally like opposite him or according to his opposite. The woman would be a corresponding counterpart, he writes. And as a counterpart, she would share in his nature. And as his matching opposite, she would supply what was lacking in him. And so maybe you could illustrate it where you have two hands that join together. They fit together just right. One hand itself is lacking something, but you put the two hands together. Eve was Adam's counterpart. Very different from him, and yet still very much like him, created in the image of God. And so what God did in establishing marriage was a very beautiful thing. Male and female was his plan. I like what Dr. Ed Wheat writes in his book, Marriage for Lovers Only. He said, in a loving, amazing, creative act, the Almighty God conceived the wonderful mysteries, and maybe we'd highlight that, right, of male and female, 
masculinity and femininity to bring joy into our lives. Think how colorless, how one-dimensional a world would be in which there was only your gender. Who would want to live in an all-male world or an all-female world? Or for that matter, in a unisex world where all signs of gender were ignored or suppressed. Then he says, the person who refuses to see and rejoice in the fundamental differences between male and female will never taste the divine goodness God planned for marriage. The divine goodness that God planned for marriage. And you know what happened in our country this week, don't you? Where our Supreme Court has said now in all 50 states that gay marriage is legal. That is a perversion of what God ordains. God ordained that one man be married to one woman for life, and that is the beauty of marriage. We need to stand on God's Word regardless of the cost, regardless of how we might be ridiculed in this culture today. Maybe it might cost us financially someday. Maybe it might cost us in other ways. But God's Word is very clear. One man to one woman for life. God declared the need for marriage. Notice, secondly, God provided the solution in marriage. God created Adam from the dust of the ground, but when God created Eve, He fashioned her from a rib of Adam. Verse 21 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh of that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man. And then God brought her to the man. And so to this man, Adam, who was alone, God provided a helper. And there's probably some symbolic significance to what God did in creating Eve. And Adam expressed this when he first saw her in verse 23. Some have said that this, this is the first uh, love song ever sung. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so there is this deep oneness that Adam and Eve shared with one another because she was taken out of him. She was literally a part of him, having been formed from his rib. Matthew Henry says that Eve was not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but, one, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected by him, and near his heart to be loved by him. So being formed out of Adam's rib reveals the oneness that he had with the woman that was near to his heart. <laughs> And that's what a marriage relationship is to be. It is to be a oneness together. As you serve 
the Lord together. The opening of Adam's side may also picture something else. Another marriage relationship, that of Christ and His bride, the church. And in Ephesians 5, Paul gives that picture, doesn't he? The marriage relationship is that like of Christ and His church. Jesus is the second Adam, whose death resulted in the formation of His bride, the church. And at the cross, when Jesus died for our sins... His side was opened, wasn't it? Pierced through. And so just as God provided a solution to Adam's need for a helper, He also provided a solution for our need for a Savior. And we are one then with Jesus, pictured in marriage. One with Christ. And I find it beautiful at the end of verse 22 that after God had formed Eve from a rib of Adam, it says that then He brought her to the man. He presented this beautiful creation of His to Adam as if to say, this is my gift to you. This is your bride. This is the one that I have made just for you. And He brought her to the man. And I believe God is still doing that today. (laughs) Do you not believe that? Those of you who are married, you believe God brought you together, that God was involved in that process of leading you to that one, that He would bring you together in marriage. And young people who are not married, I would encourage you to pray. God, lead me to the one that you have made for me. Bring that one into my life. God's gracious gift, and we need to receive men, our wives, as a gracious gift from Him. Just as Adam received Eve as a gracious gift to him and sang that love song, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so God declared the need for marriage. God provided the solution in marriage. And then thirdly, God revealed the plan for marriage. We find that in verse 24, where we see this phrase, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice, first of all, it begins with leaving. A man shall leave his father and mother. And the word translated leave is a very strong word. It is found over 200 times in the Old Testament. And over half of these times, it's translated with the word forsake or forsaken. And so it clearly pictures the idea of, of leaving something behind in order to establish a new relationship. That doesn't mean you forget your parents and you never talk to them and you don't listen to them and you don't have fellow not at all. But it pictures really that there needs to be a break between that relationship of mom and dad to establish a new relationship as husband and wife. And so that probably means you need to move out of the house, right? 
Not living with mom and dad for the rest of your lives. You need to make that break. And it probably means you need to make some kind of a financial break so that you're not... Listen to that, uh, Mark and Anna and Andrew. You're not just waiting you know, for mom and dad to finance everything in your marriage relationship. You need to make that break. And you need to make that break emotionally as well. You're not, no longer depending on mommy and daddy when trouble comes. First thing you do is call mommy. No, you don't do that anymore. <laughs> You've got a relationship with one another as husband and wife. And if you're going to experience marriage as it was intended to be, you must be willing to leave. One author says, so many marriages fail today at precisely this point. Husbands and wives fail to leave their parents. First loyalties are not established. The creation norm is ignored and marriage perverted. Any man or woman who believes that first loyalties belong to their parents believes a perversion. So you must be willing to leave. And maybe a word to parents, you must let them leave. I have seen too many cases in my ministry where parents have had a hard time letting their kids leave. Or they're still involved in their relationships, still kind of hovering over them and, and trying to guide them in various ways when they're not asking for guidance. Don't do that, parents. If they want some counsel, give it to them. But you need to let them leave. And if you don't let them leave, you are going to sabotage their relationship. Because they will not find in marriage then what they need to. They'll be looking to you. So there must be that leaving. And then joining, verse 24, A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the word translated joined carries the idea of, of clinging to, or adhering to, or sticking to one another. A very strong word that, that emphasizes a permanent relationship. And we say in our marriage vows that we will be committed to one another till death. And that's exactly what this means. You don't enter a marriage relationship thinking, if it doesn't work, I'll try another one. Till death do us part. And so you don't throw in the towel when things get tough. You cling to one another for better and for worse, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until death do us part. Corey and Abby, you're going to be reciting those vows in a few weeks, aren't you? And you need to enter that relationship thinking, this is, this is for life. This is for keeps. Not a life sentence, but it's for keeps. Right? To the day that death parts you. One wife said to her about her husband, he couldn't be much worse. And I can't see him getting much better. So I guess I'll take him as he is. Well, that's permanent, isn't it? I'm just wondering, are there any perfect marriages here today? I don't see any hands. So you're going to have to take that person for better and for worse. Because there's going to be some worse times. There's going to be some sickness times. There's going to be some poor times. I guarantee it. But you enter marriage with that commitment that you're going to stick together, adhering to, clinging to, 
sticking to one another and then becoming one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And that's why divorce is so painful. It tears apart that which God has joined together, and it leaves scars for years to come. And you counsel with people who are going through that process, and you warn them and you plead with them, Oh, we'll be fine. You tell them about their children, what that's going to do, oh, they'll be okay. There are scars that come. The two shall become one. And so if you have a good marriage today, you can be grateful. You can be thankful to God. And I would encourage you to continue to nurture that relationship. Do not become complacent, but continue to nurture that which God has established in your marriage. And if your marriage is struggling... Don't give up. There is hope for a renewed relationship if you are willing to let God be the foundation of that relationship. If you're willing to follow the pattern that that He gives in His Word. There is hope for any relationship. I I think of a, a wedding I had, one of the most memorable weddings I had, other than my own and my children. One thing that made it memorable is when It came to the uh, exchange of rings. And I usually tell the couples, um, you can say this on your own, or do you want me to say it on your behalf, or do you want me to repeat it, and then you repeat after me. And almost all the couples say, oh, you just say it. I'll be so nervous. You just say it. You say it. Okay. I said, well, we'll do that. So we get to that point of the sermon, and I, I give the ring of the bride to the groom, and I start saying, receive this ring as a pledge and as a token of wedded love and faithfulness. And I get done saying that, and, and the, the groom starts repeating that, but he got it a little bit messed up. Instead of saying, receive this ring as a pledge, he said, receive this ring as a wedge. And then he stopped. And you know how when you're not supposed to laugh, and you feel like laughing... It's really, really hard, and that's what I was going through, and I was just saying, Lord, help me not to... I should have just laughed and got it out. So the whole rest of the wedding, I was absolutely fighting laughter. I just, oh, I said, Lord, thank you for us. So that was, that was memorable. But you know what made it more memorable? That wedding was a remarriage of a couple that had divorced, and they got back together. I sat with them for many weeks pleading with them. You can work it. They both were claimed to be believers, too. I said, Jesus can renew your relationship. He can restore your marriage. If you're willing to, to let Him work in that relationship, Jesus can restore your relationship with the husband. He didn't want it. And He just kind of out of courtesy, went through these sessions, you know, and said that he tried, and then off he was. But about three years later, God did a marvelous work in their lives. And that was a wonderful wedding. To be able to see that relationship renewed, that relationship restored, to see what that meant to their children, that God had healed that relationship. What a joy 
that wedding was. And if you met that, this couple today, you would never know that happened. If you knew them today and they were to tell you of their history, you would probably be shocked because God did a great work to restore their relationship. There's the pattern right there. If we're willing to follow God's pattern, we're willing to build our homes, our marriages on Jesus Christ, the solid rock, and follow the principles of God's Word. I can't tell you're going to have a perfect marriage because I don't think there is any perfect marriage here on this earth. But you can taste a little bit of heaven on earth when husband and wife love Jesus. When husband and wife love each other and are seeking together to draw closer to the Lord, that's a little bit of heaven on earth. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, your word is so clear. One man and one woman for life. Oh God, enable us to follow that pattern. I think of the young couples that have just recently been married and those who are planning to be married. Would you draw them, Lord, together with your love that, that cannot be broken? May they cling to one another, adhere to one another, have that commitment, Lord, that nothing will separate them by your grace and your power. And Father, in a culture today that has rapidly abandoned the truth of your word, oh God, would you bring us back to you? Would you revive our land? Would you cause a great movement of your spirit that would bring people, first of all, into a living relationship with you and then committed to follow the truth? of your word. And Father, for those who have faced hardship in their marriage, oh God, give them hope today. Give them courage to believe that you are able to renew and to restore and to bless in a special way. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.